sports, but we came here to win. The most legit podcast, that's why we know you're tuning in. We cover the biggest news, we underdogs, but we can't lose. So trust the process, yes you, because we got Chris and Anju to bless you. With the best features, best stories, we diving deep like a Lambo leak. Wake up, kid, and stop snoring, we on point just like this beat. Bring the passion like the dog pound. In the cold, get a gold brand. Sit back and raise the cat, because we start this show like right now. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of The Underdog. Chris Hordell joined by uh, Anshu Khanna. Anshu! Chris! Oh boy! Uh, (laughs) (laughs) The world just blew up. It's uh, James Harden's just been traded. We're going to get to that in in just a little bit once the... Literally, James Harden has just been traded as we're we're recording this right now. The full terms of the deal, we're not even sure if they're out yet. So... We're going to hold off on that for, uh, you know, 20 minutes or so. Let those come out, and then we'll get to that. Before we do, uh, plenty plenty to talk about. We've got the divisional round of the playoffs. We've got the NFL coaching carousel. We've got surprise fires. We've got players just taking off for no reason from their basketball team and going to birthday parties. Uh, I've got all of that. I've got Bavada Sportsbook open in front of me. We're going to talk about a lot of really interesting stuff this week. But let's talk about the uh, the biggest game that just happened. I guess the most recent big game to just happen. That would be the NCAA National Championship. Alabama absolutely manhandles the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes. How'd you feel about this one? Were you surprised by the outcome? I was. I really thought that Ohio State would keep it kind of interesting. I thought that they, you know, they reminded me of that Ohio State team with Cardale Jones that seemed to, in just in terms of like, having their talent sort of rise to the surface in big moments. And, you know, that's always, if you watch Ohio State all season, as I do in Big Ten country, I mean, you you see kind of a lack of motivation in many games, I think. And mm-hmm. it seemed like in that Clemson game, it was sort of like the full extent of their powers being manifested. Now, obviously, <laughs> Justin Fields gets hurt, and, you know, they have a couple injuries. Um, but, you know, at the end of the Togi I specifically is it was a big difference. But, you know, I thought they still defended the run fine against Najee Harris. He was just creating stuff. And at the end of the day, I think we just maybe I don't know how this is even possible, but I think I at least underrated Alabama and just mm. how significantly better they were than any other team, because I don't think the story's different with Trevor Lawrence and Clemson in this game. Like, I mean, maybe they keep it within the three touchdowns or whatever Ohio State the difference was, but man, I like I think that Alabama was just that much better than every other team in the country, and specifically offensively, even having lost three of their four best receivers in the last offseason, I mean mm-hmm. it's such a testament to Saban and to Sark and to, you know, Mac Jones and everybody else that they have to to put on the performance they did offensively. Yeah, it's also crazy to think that it a year ago, that roster, along with having Tua Tagovailoa at quarterback, had four first-round wide receivers. I know, and arguably the two best ones, you know, were still on the roster this year. I like. I, I put Judy ahead of Waddle, but I, I, I see what you're saying. Probably, and and ironically, probably. the guy to go highest is the guy that isn't mentioned in that foursome in Henry Ruggs. Yeah, well, I think. I think the other one is going to go highest now. <laughs> Devontae yeah. Smith, unbelievable all-time elite performance. I mean, it, like, what can you even say? Sean Wade, we, you know, we've been panning him on this show for a while, but like, my God, what he did in that game was unbelievable. I like, I just, I can't even speak highly enough of what Devontae Smith is, and I think that maybe this season. 
thankfully he wins the Heisman, but maybe the season otherwise would have gone under the radar just because of like all the, you know, all the sort of asterisks associated with it. He is an incredible talent and he maybe will end up going lower than he should because of the size or the speed or whatever the case may be. But, you know, put that guy on my team any day of the week. Yeah. Well, I I don't necessarily think he's going to go all that low. I guess I would ask for context when you say go lower than he should, where do you think he should go? I like, I know Jamar Chase is a consensus number one receiver. I know that you yeah. love to see him in Philly. I, I mean, I just like, I know what I saw and Devontae Smith is that guy. I would take, I don't know how you can make the case really for Chase over Smith in my mind. It's difficult because there is, there's the recency bias of the brilliance of Devontae Smith versus the sort of us forgetting how True. good Jamar Chase was last year as he took the year off. And we don't know. Jamar Chase could be in James Harden shape or he could be in James Harden bubble shape. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Topical reference there. But uh, no, I mean, you're right. And maybe you drop Chase into Alabama and he puts up similar numbers. But mm -hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, if if Smith doesn't go in the top 10, and I, like I'm comparing him directly to Chase, but really like this guy is just so good. And I know, you know, even last week we talked about the depth of receiver and maybe waiting for a guy in the second round because the difference between the top two guys and, you know, six and seven and eight may not be that big of a difference as it is in other positions. But Devontae Smith to me is like, you drop him into a roster right now and I think that he's clearly going to put on at least like a Jordan Jefferson type performance. And I know he's got, you know, size restrictions and we'll see who he, where he lands, but yeah. he seems like the type of guy that's going to be able to create even with, you know, a potentially off schedule type offense. Yeah. I know that this is, I guess it's kind of a hot take from a draft perspective rather than an actual hot take, but Considering where receivers go on draft day, I do think that we're going to see receivers go extraordinarily high in this draft. It would, I would be very surprised if either Smith or Chase is available past the number six pick. Yeah, man, I would say very surprised. Yeah, I, I would be surprised. I would be very surprised if they fall below, like because of what you said about receivers i'd say i'd be very surprised if they fall below you know where the guys went last year which was i think what judy went 15 was it oh i don't think there's a chance that either one of them gets in the teens, especially especially it. with the lions picking seven yeah yeah and they could definitely use one especially with galladay leaving so yeah but you know if, if stafford's gone maybe they go in the direction of a quarterback i mean it's it's fair I don't, I agree with you. Like, I think they're both, one thing we can agree on is they're both clearly top five type talents, right? Mm -hmm. Like oh, they're yeah. both going to be great. Like we could be looking at, you know, um, I believe it was a 2002 draft when Larry Fitzgerald and Andre Johnson both go in the top oh, eight, man. if I'm not mistaken. I'm not saying they're even close to similar in terms of their type body types but like yeah you're talking about two hall of famers in the top 10 i'm not and again that's that's high praise but these two guys are elite elite receivers um at the college level we saw what jordan jefferson did and these two guys are both clearly better as college players than jefferson was in my mind yeah you took a shot with 2002 and i i, I respect that it doesn't look like that's <laughs> right because that's roy williams and uh roy williams and let's see who is the second receiver taken? Da Dante Stallworth. 
<laughs> the top two receivers okay. taken that year. Uh, and sorry, and sorry, and I'm not even right. That was Roy Williams, the safety from Oklahoma. Oh. <laughs> not the, the wide receiver. The top two receivers in 2002 were Dante Stallworth and Javon Walker. Oh, former Packer, so, non-great. Uh, yeah, I, I know that it's uncommon for re- receivers to go that high, specifically two receivers to go that high. It's just, I think there's a legitimate case that we're talking about the second and third best players in this draft. I agree. I, I could absolutely see, like, you know, fine. You, you th- maybe teams are diminishing the value of receivers, but like, if you want a sure thing, I think those two guys, at least Smith to me, like, is just cannot miss. And I, I know that that's <laughs> that's sacrilege to say, especially mm-hmm. with his body type. And you know, you see him get injured at the end of that game. But uh, like, I don't know. I, I I have a tough time imagining him failing. So his floor is definitely the second best player in my mind. Well, here you go. If we go to if we go to the 2003 NFL draft, ah. you have a receiver go number two. Uh, his name is Charlie Rogers. Oh my God! Okay, I and went then way back. Another receiver go number three. That's Andre Johnson. So uh, I, I do think they're seven. bit oh, of I a bit, so. yeah, yeah, a bit of a gotcha. bit of a miss on the Charlie Rogers pick. But nobody could have. <laughs> Nobody could have anticipated the demons that that guy had. He looked like just, here you go. We're, you weren't far off. 2004, Fitzgerald goes three, and uh, Roy Williams goes mm. seven. Reggie okay. Williams from Washington goes nine. Oh, Lee Reggie Evans. Lee Evans goes 13. Michael Clayton goes 15. And uh, Michael Jenkins goes 29. Oh, or Sean Woods, I guess, would have been also relevant, but... What are we going to do? Uh, yeah, it's those guys are so good. And it, it's going to it's going to break my heart uh, if one of them is not uh, catching passes in a Philadelphia Eagles uniform next year. Because From it Carson seems Wentz? Like, it's, oh, it's it's definitely going to be Carson Wentz. It seems like a no brainer to me. Uh, the only with the with the firing of Doug Peterson, which, by the way, I'm wow. I'm really on board with. Yeah. Because I, I think the worst thing that happened to Doug was he won that Super Bowl and he began to believe in his own hype and began to believe that he was the infallible uh, mind in the room. Uh, it just it led to a disastrous results. Also, also I think it, we should talk about the fact that NFL coaching circles are changing. When we when we were younger, you were used to the guy. He was a. He was a a court, you know, he was an analyst and then he was a position coach and then he was an offensive coordinator and then he was an offensive coordinator somewhere else. And then he was a head coach and then he was then he was a running backs coach and then he was an offensive coordinator again. That's not the way it is anymore with us. uh, uh, This us. Yes. You and I hiring so many young coaches, (laughs) the the circles are just smaller. and, And that's the case for Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson has a very small circle of coaches that he works with. So he is probably to a fault, almost certainly to a fault, over loyal to the guys in his circle. His move to continue to promote Press Taylor, uh, he would have been the offensive coordinator in this new scheme, was ultimately his downfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it worked out for him when he had Reich and he had, you know, some of the other guys that they had. Di Filippo. But, you know, this is the opposite. So when he goes into the room with Lurie and, and Roseman and has this or the series of meetings where he's outlining his plan for the next year or two or three years 
and he's promoting guys from within. I mean, it, that clearly showed to them that like uh, there was a level of complacency that they were simply not willing to to stomach anymore. And can't blame them really, because like it it it's been embarrassing. the The division was very much there for them this year. I know that they had injuries, of course, but mm-hmm. you know, like it was right there. And um, at that point, you've got to look yourself in the mirror and say, "I have to change course, or else." you know, I'm going to be part of the change and not in a good way. And so, um, and that clearly happened. So I I give the Eagles a lot of credit for not doing what the Bears did today, which is stand by their guys, even when, you know, and just settling for mediocrity, essentially. I also think it's interesting that they would consider going back to that, that Kansas City well, because look at Matt Nagy has struggled in Chicago. Doug Peterson, other than the one magical year, has has struggled to maintain this roster in Philadelphia. It it just seems like when you have this all powerful being like Andy Reid, who is covering up for the deficiencies of a lot of his coaches because of how big a role he plays within that team. I I don't know that I would jump back there. I don't know that Mike Kafka would be number one on my wish list. And I know everybody Definitely. talks about Eric. I know everyone talks about Eric Bieniemy. Look, look, the reality is, and I'm I'm sorry if this isn't PC, and I'm sorry in the society that we live in today that I'm going to say this, but it has nothing to do with the the color of his skin. Eric Bieniemy is kind of a scumbag. Yeah, Eric Eric Bieniemy has gotten in a lot of trouble. He's been arrested a bunch. He's permanently kicked off the Colorado campus back when he was the recruiting uh, the head of recruiting there. He's done a lot of shit, and he probably isn't the guy I would put in, in charge of my team. I I find it surprising that, um, you know, the example for African-American candidates is Eric Bieniemy. Like, right. I, I don't like kind of hiding behind him. And I, I think that, you know, the point is well taken that, you know, if Matt Nagy got a chance, Eric Bieniemy should have gotten his chance it, given the same cycle time. I think that that's a fair criticism but well, at the same but, time, but given the same off the field troubles right, too, right? I think that's the issue here. It's not, it's not that you know, like that he's being unfairly treated. I get like, but I'm saying on its face, I get why that would be the comparison people make. But the enemy is is not the same. I mean, he's just no. not. And and I do think that there was a reason why Andy Reid didn't promote him immediately to offensive coordinator, given kind of like the amount of, you know, chances he's had over the years to do that. I mean, he was kind of like the running backs coach for a while, and then he finally did promote him. And I I, I do think that, like, Kafka is being looked at because, you know, when you look at that offense, I mean, he's the passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach, if I'm not mistaken, or, you know, if it's not explicitly listed in his title, that's what he's in charge of. And that's what makes them great, of course. I mean, aside mm-hmm. from Mahomes and, of course, aside from Andy Reid. But, like, that is the piece of the puzzle I'd, I would want if I had to take one. But, again, you're absolutely right. I mean, these guys aren't calling the plays. They're, you know, sure, they're they're involved in the scheme and they're involved in the research. And, they're and you know, Eric Bieniemy might be a really good coach someday. He might. But I think that they're, it's fair to criticize him given his history and given the – amount of responsibility or lack thereof that he deserves, you know, as it relates to how good this Kansas city offense is. Yeah. I am. Uh, I am. I'm not ecstatic about the position of the Philadelphia Eagles right now. I'm certainly not going all in on the Bavada futures for an Eagles championship team next year, <laughs> but, but it, it's nice to at least have something fresh. If, 
you know, if we're talking about minority candidates, first of all, Jim Caldwell should be a head coach in the NFL, and it's crazy that he's not. It's crazy that he's not. And how about a guy like George Edwards? Yeah, or, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I think that there are, there are plenty. There are obviously the David Shaw door has been banged down many times, and he yeah. just refuses to leave. I mean, I think that there are <laughs> there are certainly candidates. It's more just like, and I, I fully agree with this, by the way, the... The pipeline is, as you pointed out, like before it was much more, you know, you could have a defensive or offensive. You could have, you know, any of a variety of ways to get your name out there. But now you've really got to be a quarterback's coach and then an offensive play caller. And then you're probably going to get a shot as a head coach if you're an above average one. Like, that's just the Mm -hmm. truth. There aren't that many african-american play callers as just the reality and i think a lot of that branches from the fact that previously and you know there is a cycle time tied to this but previously there just weren't a lot of african-american quarterbacks especially at the nfl level and now we're seeing this interesting and i think that that matters i think that that plays a big role i mean sure so look at byron leftwich in uh, in tampa bay yeah, I mean, exactly. But again, Byron Leftwich is kind of hidden now behind Bruce Arians. And That's true. really, Tom Brady is kind of the offensive coordinator there, too. <laughs> That's true. So, you know, it's a tough situation, but I think that a lot of it can be attributed to the pipeline that's associated with how head coach hires get made. Yeah, there's been a lot of call in Philadelphia to to make Deuce our, our head coach, and this is something that does not, will not ever make sense to me. First of all, like I get that he was a great player here. That's that's wonderful. I loved him uh, when he was a when he was running the ball for the Philadelphia Eagles, and I think he does a fine job as the running backs coach. But but realistically, Jeff Stoutland is the run game coordinator. All Deuce does on this team is handle running back rotations on game day, and that's one of the weakest elements of the Philadelphia Eagles. That that is an element that led to Miles Sanders getting forty percent of the carries when he is you know, probably a top 15 running back in football. No doubt. And I mean, I think that it goes back to a conversation you and I had over text, which is, you know, I, you have to almost, you almost have to have a head coach. That's an offensive play caller now, or else you risk. I've sided. I've since sided with you on this, by the way. So I, but like there are guys. So do Staley falls then to me into the same you know, group as a lot of defensive coaches, a lot of mm-hmm. special teams coordinators who become coaches. And there are successful people that do that, but they're much more the exception than the rule. And it's very difficult to sustain excellence if you've got a re- revolving door at offensive coordinator. It just is. And if you're good offensively, you're going to lose your offensive coordinators almost mm-hmm. routinely. And Deuce Staley is just not going to be calling plays, I assume. I mean, he's never done it, so I assume he's not going to now. And, you know, if if you're going to go down that road, I'd be much more interested in a guy like Brandon Staley, who I think plays the game from a perspective of or at least views the game from a perspective of, you know, like, I mean, a McVay-esque perspective on the defensive end and really a yeah. Fangio-esque perspective, which is, you know, probably the best defensive coach consistently of the last 40 years. So, I mean, that's that would be the road I'd go down. I like I get the loyalty. And I get that maybe he's a good leader and, you know, that's important, but it's really hard to keep good offensive, creative offensive play callers because you're going to lose them. I think what this all boils down to, because let's not kid ourselves, the the lack of diversity in minority candidates getting head coaching positions, it, it's 
it's just the tip of the iceberg of a systemic problem. What we need is more minority coaches getting opportunities in the entry-level positions so that they can work up, so that they can put themselves in the position to be the head coaches of the future. And, and that's where we're failing right now. Right, for sure. And, you know, it is a systemic issue because it doesn't have to be at the NFL level. It can be at the college level. We've Absolutely. seen that. And we've seen college, you know, head co- it's the same thing in college where, you know, they want, ADs want their head coaches to be play callers in many cases. I mean, you got to be a good recruiter, but it's great to have a good young play caller that can do that for you. If you can do both, it's great. And it's yeah. just, there's just a lack of that because otherwise the NFL would be poaching those guys too. And, and right. it's just, it's a systemic problem. Yeah. Unless you're Deion Sanders, you can't get that head coaching opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And he's not an offensive guy. So like, no, we see it. I think Joe Brady is just like the perfect example of, you know, of what it interviewed with the see. Eagles, by the way, like that's the guy, right? That's, I, that's a hundred percent my guy. Yeah. And, and I think that if you have, so say you hire Deuce Daly and then you had a guy like the next Joe Brady as your offensive coordinator, you're going to lose him. And yeah, that's let's call always it, let's call it Graham Harrell. Right, exactly. That's what you pointed out the other day. So, I mean, great. If you get him for two years, that's awesome. But the chances of backing him up with the next Graham Harrell or the next mm-hmm. Joe Brady or whoever that might be are very low. And then now you're in real trouble. And Jim Harbaugh has done, or I'm sorry, John Harbaugh has done a great job of doing this, but it's very difficult to maintain. Well, I mean, Harbaugh also runs this scheme that doesn't work. Well, I suppose Greg Roman uh, runs this scheme that it, it's so hard for other teams to copy. Right. But like, yeah. And, and you know, they there was a time when John, I mean, it seemed like John Harbaugh was going to get fired a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's because probably heavily because of his offense. And, and you know, he's also, he takes it a step further because he's also a special teams guy. So he doesn't run their defense either. So every time you have a good defense, you know, Wink Martindale gets, uh, you know, interviews. If you have mm-hmm. good offense, Greg Roman generally is getting interviews. This year is an exception, but their offense wasn't that good. And their defense also wasn't that great. So, I mean, there's, there, it, it, you really need your head coach to do one or the other, but really he needs to be the play caller. And that's exactly why the Chiefs are going to be good for so long. Yeah. No, I, I agree completely. And that is why I, you know, I very much am in the camp of let's give Joe Brady whatever he wants. I, I supported the Lincoln Riley thing as well, but Lincoln Riley came out today and said he's happy at Oklahoma. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, and honestly, Lincoln Riley's getting himself into the position at Oklahoma, basically that Jay Wright has in Villanova, where they can do whatever they want. And this is just, this is the cushiest dream, uh, dream job you can have. Why would yeah. you leave it? It's true. Uh, he's definitely, that's, that's a pretty good comp. I think he's still young enough where he could jump and, and, you know, because of the way the NFL is, like, no matter what, Lincoln Riley is going to be a very high candidate for mm. at least two or three more years. And, you know, he could still parlay himself into a Matt Rule situation where Rule's name was brought up and brought up and brought up. And then finally, he, you know, he made the jump. But the difference is, of course, that Rule doesn't run that offense. And um, and, and Lincoln Riley, the idea is that he would be able to drop that. Look at Cliff Kingsbury got a job despite the fact that he got fired from mm-hmm. his Big 12, middle of the road, big 12 head coaching job. I mean, that's, that's yeah. all you need to know, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much said, uh, says enough with, with that statement. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, Brady's the guy I want. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very big on Aaron Glenn, uh, potentially as a defensive coordinator, but mm-hmm. yeah. 
change will happen. At, at least uh, there will be change. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for a new coach to come in if for no other reason than they're not going to be so tied to the players that they brought into the roster and blinded by loyalty. I, I want to see the best guy playing. I think it's I thought it was crazy all season when Doug Peterson would bench Jordan Maialata anytime Jason Peters put two healthy quarters together. <laughs> Just absolutely crazy. Let's especially in a, in a lost year. Let's play the guys that are going to help us. Why Alshon Jeffrey was getting more snaps than Travis Fulgham or or people like that at the end of the season was crazy to me. So it's done now, and uh, and fair enough. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All right, here we go. Coming into the day on Shukana, the uh, the Brooklyn Nets were the favorite to win the Eastern Conference at Bavada Sportsbook. I don't think that's changed after a fairly large move was made today. The Nets get James Harden from the Houston Rockets, part of a four-team trade. As of at the last tweet I've seen from Shams with the full deal is as such... The Houston Rockets uh, get Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, Rodian Corix, three Brooklyn first-round picks, 22, 24, and 26. One Milwaukee first-round pick, 22. By the way, 22 very well could be the double draft, just worth pointing out. Four Brooklyn 21 first-round pick swaps, 21, 23, 25, and 27. So basically, they get eight first-round picks, or the access to eight first-round picks. Now, there's no chance those 21-23 picks or pick swaps are going to take place because right. the Nets will be one of the best teams in basketball. So and those the are will not, <laughs> and the Rockets will not. So those are those are fake picks just to make this trade look better, but they exist nonetheless. The Nets get James Harden. The Pacers get Karis Levert and a second-round pick. Not clear who it's from. And the Cavs get Jared Allen and Torian Prince. I'm guessing they're rewarded with Jared Allen for taking on the contract to Torian Prince to make this work. Right. I think so. And um, obviously they give up that that late one. I'm guessing that too comes from Cleveland too, which could be a higher-ish pick, but it, I'm not sure if that's actually the case. No, the, the one they get from the first round pick coming from Cleveland is a pick that they owned from Milwaukee. Well, right, right, right. But I meant that. Yeah, yeah. So they did give up a one to take on the contract of Prince and, you know, get Allen for their efforts. Mm. For those. Ex- they give up Exum as well, but again, Exum, salary yeah. cap. Right. All right. So <laughs> I before the show, we had a, a um, spirited discussion, I would say, mm-hmm. about the possibility of the Sixers dealing Simmons and change. And I just said, you know, repeatedly that, I don't get what, you know, it came out that the Nets might give up a bunch of firsts or pick swaps for Harden. Mm. And I just said, like, there's just no way the Rockets do that if Simmons is on the table for them. Because it just doesn't make any sense why you'd go down that road. And here we are. (laughs) They, they, I mean, I don't know if it was like a bluff calling situation or what. I mean, Oladipo is definitely a piece that helps sweeten the pot. But as you point out, those pick swaps are non-existent right like mm-hmm. they, it doesn't even matter for at least two of those i would assume um yeah these picks don't matter until at least i would say 25 right so that's i mean that like who knows who the gm is at that point right mm-hmm. and i don't know i mean i like as i told you and as i've said on the show repeatedly i am not a james harden guy but there is a, a level of value that i assumed he had that um 
I'm not sure that this deal shows. And especially because Oladipo is an expiring contract that like, you know, he, he may or may not be there long term. I assume he won't. Um, but, you know, he, maybe they'll give him the opportunity to be. I wouldn't be building my franchise around him. I'm just very confused at how this all went down because I'm, I'm I feel yeah. like, you know, if you could just get Simmons like that, that alone, plus whatever else the Sixers might have been having out there is a no brainer over what they ended up getting. Yeah, for the record, the the Nets favored in the Eastern Conference at plus 125 at Bavada and the number two favorite to win the, the NBA championship right now mm-hmm. at plus 275, just behind the Lakers. This is uh, this is wow. very much the uh, the epitome of going all in in poker, yes. right? Yes. This all the all the chips are in the middle of the table for the Nets right now, and this is going to be their team. There's going to be no wiggle room moving forward. I'm I'm looking at the, this roster to see what it actually looks like right now because they give up. They they lose Prince, uh, Allen, and uh, and Lavert. Dinwiddie's already hurt. So this is one of these situations where it might take an off season for them to kind of put the pieces around the rest of these guys. Though I would imagine the the buyout market players will flock to try and win a championship with uh, with Kyrie, with Kevin, and with James. Um, although you know, who knows if Kyrie comes back. So right now the starting lineup looks like it would. They have to put Joe Harris back into the starting lineup at this point. It's crazy to me that so. he hasn't been starting. The starting lineup would be Kyrie, Harden, Joe Harris, Durant, and, and Jordan. And that's formidable. There's no no two ways about that. That is a formidable starting lineup. But the bench is basically Jeff Green and Bruce Bowen at this point. And, and Landry Shamit, I guess. Hey, there you go. Yeah, I like... I mean, on paper, this team is very good. And, I mean, they've got the starry names. But when you look at those na- I mean, those people individually are all psychopaths in my yes. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> To put it nicely. I just, I'm sorry. I just, those, those three guys together are so combustible. And, I, like, you know, we've said that in the past about other groups of players. But... Mm-hmm. Not quite like this. I, I mean, really, it's always been about Harden, too. Like we said, Harden and Russ were way too combustible last year. And I thought, you know, it, when they got John Wall and Cousins this year, I actually liked kind of what the, I think we both did, like mm-hmm. liked in theory what the Rockets were sort of yeah. potentially building. And Christian Harden. Wood. And Wood, yeah. I mean, Wood it looks like an awesome player. And so, I, I mean, the, you know, they... <sighs> I don't know. I like first, like you said, Kyrie. You kind of snuck it in there, but it, does Kyrie make it back? I assume now the pressure's on, and he will be there. And he's still a fantastic player on the court, but again, crazy off the court. And so, you know, you you build a team of very you know volatile personalities, and it's hard. You know, basketball's like this in that it's really hard to to put together the personalities and I'm, mm-hmm. um, I'm concerned about that for them. Uh, I wouldn't make them the favorites in the East, but like on paper, if you're going to go that route in terms of just star power, I like they match up very well with anybody, including the Lakers. Uh, like they're, they are very, very good. And so, you know, if they put it all together, they they should be the favorites, but that's mm-hmm. a huge if in my mind. And that's a story to me. 
Yeah, let's not kid ourselves. DeAndre Jordan also a let's say personality himself. Right. So, right. Like you, you feel for Joe Harris right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> like he's that. he's going to get all the open looks that he can uh, he can ask for over the next couple of seasons. But man, he is he is the sane person in a room with a bunch of crazies. <laughs> and you've got. I mean, you're right. I, I think it's it's important to point out that next year maybe is the year that they they quote unquote put it all together, but. I don't know that there are any guarantees beyond, you know, there's no guarantees about next week. And like, especially in this COVID season, like I could see this blowing up real badly for them. So, yeah. Well, I think Durant's the key element here. If Durant were to get hurt, if Durant were to get hurt again, is the Harden, is, is Fat Harden and Kyrie a better combo than in shape Harden and Russell Westbrook? I would say no, because I don't think there's any guarantee Kyrie even plays at that point, you know? Yeah, seems, exactly. He might just not the, feel like coming that day. Exactly. That That is, like, the great equalizer. I mean, they sign him to a max deal, and, like, basically he just says, I'm either showing up or I'm not, <laughs> and I'm not going to let you know when either of those things might happen. Right. And I'll be I'll be here or I won't. Don't worry about it. Right, and it's been like that since Boston. And so, you know, there's... There's a lot of weirdness here. I would, I'd much rather go with a team like Milwaukee that's sort of built more soundly. And even like, even Philly, I think if, if put together neatly is, you know, and does, and if they do come together, like they can hang with that team without any question in my mind. Brooklyn is just, they're wild. Yeah. Like if they get it all together, then great. But this, that the Kyrie ship has sailed in my mind, as far as him being like a normal person. And <laughs> in, uh, like a normal basketball player. And so like, you can't compare them to any of these other quote unquote super teams because of the fact that, you know, they j- just all three of those, but especially the Kyrie and Harden pieces are like just impossible to pin down. Yeah. Well, let's not forget the heart. God, Kyrie left that, that perennial championship team with LeBron because he didn't want to play second fiddle anymore, only to set up a situation where he was second fiddle to Kevin Durant and then he basically they announced Steve Nash as the head coach and Kyrie comes out and basically says, well, we don't really view it like we have a coach. Someday Kevin will be the coach and some days I'll be the coach. Like, he clearly doesn't have any respect for Steve Nash. He doesn't have any respect for the organization, which is evident by not showing up and not telling anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this is a nightmare. And I do think it's going to be difficult to get all three of them to fit neatly on the court. And yeah, people like to point to. Well, look at Durant in Golden State. The reason Durant worked in Golden State is because he happened to be playing with three generationally unselfish superstars. And a great coach, like a truly great personality manager. And oh, sure. say whatever you want about, you know, maybe he isn't doesn't have the X's and O's chops or whatever. But you're right. That is like such a sound organization. And those stars are so, you know, mentally stable. And then you yes. also have... And then you also have, you know, like the bench pieces. There were just, that was a really good infrastructure for him. And don't forget, they won a title, you know, without him. Yeah. Several championship appearances before he even shows up. So, like, that's, that is a completely different scenario than this one where he's the centerpiece and he's kind of going to be counted on, Durant, that is, to provide, you know, to provide that infrastructure. And I just don't know that he's got that in him. 
Yeah, Kevin is a natural ISO player who bought into that offense because he knew how good that ball movement was. Yeah. And he knew, he knew if somebody was open, it doesn't matter who it was, doesn't matter if it was Curry or Clay or Draymond, they're going to make the open, they're going to make the pass to the open guy. Mm-hmm. Now he's in an offense with two other heavy ISO players, two of the heaviest ISO players in basketball in Kyrie. Unintended, I assume. Well, you know, unfortunately not, <laughs> but I'll take the credit for it. Uh, with with Kyrie and Harden, they're, these are guys who don't pass for they don't pass to move the ball. They pass to get an assist. And yeah. and that's very different in the framework of an offense. Yeah. Like, I feel like we're staring. We're kind of over uh, generalizing here a bit, but it's the truth. Like, I just cannot close my eyes and picture them in those like those big, big, important, tense moments can coming together and like, you know, and just over you know that where the sum of the parts is greater than each of the individual pieces mm-hmm. i just don't see that with them and maybe that's enough like the individual pieces are insanely good like we talk about second third best player on a champion i mean they've got two second best players on a champion and a clearly a top three player in the league when he's you know fully i say top a, five at this point. i'd say two first but i'd say two guys who are capable of being the best player on a championship probably team. probably yeah but you know they're it doesn't again it it may not work out and i i would bet on it not working out it could like they like of course those three guys are all incredible talents but i i would bet against it well it, it's going to be interesting to watch this play out i have a hard time believing we've seen the full details of the trade at this point i feel like yeah, there's going to the be a couple made out like bandits yeah no i feel like there's going to have to be a couple more pieces snuck in there when when this becomes official but I, who knows when we're going to see that because the NBA has a very, very major coronavirus problem right now. We saw we saw the <laughs> what are you laughing at? No, it's like the league is so ridiculous. There, it's there's always something, you know, like it's everything's getting canceled. Everything is, you know, you get this massive trade for teams don't have all the details. It's it's just a wild year for the NBA. Yeah, we saw the seventh game of the season postponed today when the the Suns game got postponed. For whatever reason, uh, the the NBA would not postpone a 76ers game when they played against the Nuggets with with seven guys and instead forced Mike Scott, who was hurt, to dress and sit on the bench in uniform. I don't 100% understand that one, but hey, Tyrese Maxey scored 39 points, and that that was kind of fun. What should happen right now? There's a lot of talk about should the league be paused for a couple of weeks. We we saw the very strict uh, new regulations for players both on the road and at home be put into place yesterday. That's not been met well. George Hill basically said, I'm a grown ass man. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't tell me to sit in a room for 24 hours a day. How do you feel about this? What should the league be doing right now? I mean, George Hill doesn't have to play, is what I would say. Like, the league has its rules, and George Hill can sit it out if he doesn't feel like he can adhere to them. The NBA is, you know, is an entity that serves an entertainment purpose. And so if they decide that, you know, they have to throw the logistics to the wind and take two weeks off, then sure enough, like, scheduling logistics, that is, Mm -hmm. then, you know, fair enough. Like, I think that they're entitled to doing that because they are – again, an entertainment entity and they have the right to sort of create their own bylaws. And, you know, everyone knew what they signed up for going into this year in terms of like, maybe not specifics of what they signed up for, but all the different possibilities associated with COVID. So, you know, at least you're not in a bubble is what I would respond to George Hill with. And also, hey, you know what, if 
if you don't want to, no one's forcing you to do it. So that's, I guess that's my response. And if I was Adam Silver, I would probably consider a two-week break, again, as long as scheduling doesn't get impacted too heavily. But yeah. if if not, I, I don't see a problem with creating more strict regulations, considering I'm sure that was that's always been on the table. And to say otherwise would just be ignorant. I feel like this uh, this strict regulation is kind of the, a last measure before they go to something much more drastic. And I, I've always thought that the way they scheduled this season allowed them to create sort of a truncated second half of the season that goes into another bubble playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, and I think that that's fine. Like, again... No one's forcing anyone to do this. Like if you if you feel like you can't adhere to those rules, then just don't play. Like, I, but at the same time, if you are if you want to get paid the millions that you are, then you have to go along with you know the the NBA is trying to keep these players safe and keep the season yeah. humming along as best they can. And so, you know, and it's probably more the latter than the former, honestly, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But that's just that's just what you signed up for, and. Um, you know, I yeah, I, I guess that's my stance on it, and I, I I'm interested to see how it goes, and I think a bubble does make sense at least for the season because it's not going to be a permanent thing, assuming you know the vaccine works as everyone expects it. Yeah, you know, initially when they they were coming up with the schedule for the season, I think the league thought that there was a legitimate chance they had relatively full arenas by the time we got to the NBA playoffs, and you know, I don't want this to to drift into a a political conversation, but with the way that things have gone so far with this current vaccine rollout, it's now seeming like it might be the end of the year and before the, before the normies have access to a vaccine. (laughs) Uh, And it's, we're probably looking at 2022 and probably, you know, not early 2022 as when things begin to get back to what we perceived as normal prior to this. Yeah. I think, well, like at minimum this season, I think you've got to start planning as best you can for the pot, for the likelihood that, you know, it's not going to be there by the end of this regular season slash postseason. And the sooner that everyone wraps their arms around that, the better, because that way, if things are better than possible, you can always put people in arenas, you know, you're allow the gates to open, but I think mm-hmm. it's best to prepare for the worst and then hope for the best than the other way around. I agree completely. And by the way, George Hill is, uh, he's being compensated $9.5 million to participate oh, in this, this season this year. And I like George Hill, but, but this is, it's, it's a tough take and I get it from both sides because it's not a hundred percent what he agreed to. These new rules are much stricter than, than the other rules were. But like you said, if you would like to stop playing right now, you can stop playing and you can go home and do whatever you like. Right. Or, you know, and again, you have to be insanely ignorant to think that this wasn't a possibility that was on the table, whether or not it was laid out explicitly in any kind of agreement with the NBA or collectively bargained. I mean, just look around you, man, like read the room. Do you not know that this is a possibility? And I, I think that, you know, I'm grateful that they're still playing games. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not in the middle of it. I'm not traveling. I'm not the one that has all these restrictions the way they do. I mean, I have my own restrictions, obviously. But there, you know, there's like, I, I don't know. I just miss me with the with the whining in my mind. I, like, I think that there, I get what you're saying. But I also think that there's like, 
if you're if you think that this wasn't a possibility, you're just completely unrealistic. Well, and he's got to look to his peers to shoulder some of that blame as well, because I would argue I would argue the the NBA's handling of this situation by the NBA players handling of the situation is much worse than we saw in football. Yeah, I mean, yes. Or baseball. Look at baseball. I mean, baseball had one problem. It was the Marlins. The Cardinals had a little thing, but it ended up not really being anything. Baseball, basketball, every team's affected now. Yep. And I mean, you're seeing it in college too, but especially in the pros. And um, it's, you know, they've got all this money. You can still live a very healthy, happy lifestyle, I think, um, quarantined and or, you know, with some of the restrictions that they're placing. Just don't go like partying like freaking Kyrie or all these guys. You know, there's just there's just so much dumb stuff that happens. And then you're right. Looking at your peers, it's a great, great point that it's you know, they, the players themselves shoulder a lot of this blame. For sure. You know, I mean, we've, we've dumped on Kyrie a lot, probably uh, justifiably during the show. Justifiably. But no we regrets. didn't even address the fact that, you know, he's out there. He gets his picture while he is, you know, he's too heartbroken to play basketball because of what's going on in the world. He's out at not wearing a mask at a party f- for his family. Yeah. Sorry. Just, I, yeah. Like, seriously. Just, it's one thing. If you're like, oh, if he's if he's just wearing a mask, that narrative is completely different because it's like, okay, he's away from the team. Kyrie struggling with the social issues going on in this country right now. He's with his family, but he's taking precautions. Okay, you know, fine. But just it's It's just optics, of course. Stupid. Yeah. You got to know who you are and how people are going to, you know, consume that information. And uh, it's not positive. But some people don't have that awareness, and some people just think they're above it. Look at Bruce Willis. I don't know if you saw the story. (laughs) Did you see Bruce Willis got kicked out of a Walgreens yesterday because he refused to wear a mask? (laughs) Could you imagine being the Walgreens employee that has to be like, excuse me, Mr. Willis? (laughs) (laughs) We need you to leave. (laughs) I cannot. I cannot imagine that. Get out of here, John McClain. Thank you for your service. (laughs) (laughs) Although he's, he's he's an asshole. I, uh, after, uh, I'm a, I'm a Kevin Smith fan. And after Kevin Smith directed cop out with Tracy Morgan and, and, um, and Bruce Willis, he sent out a tweet saying something along the lines of, I just like to thank everyone for the hard work they, they have put into making this film. We, everyone tried their best, uh, except for Bruce Willis. He's a dick. (laughs) Wow. That's a, that's a strong statement. So be willy come on get your act together be willy that's my boy so i feel like i mean probably not anymore if, if I, he hears say, this. Yeah, and okay. I, I i imagine he he is bruce if you're listening feel free to reach out and give your side of the statement on the show next week but um let's talk about the divisional round of the nfl playoffs this is you finally get to see your Packers play. That's exciting. It's uh, it's always nice to have that little that little break with the with the bye. But at the same time, you know, you want to see your guys play football, and you get that this weekend. The first game is the Los Angeles Rams heading to Green Bay to take on your Green Bay Packers, and Bavada has your Packers minus six and a half. Yeah, I think at face value, you look at that and you say, all right, Green Bay, you know, they're, they're, these two teams are trending in opposite directions, yeah. despite the fact that the Rams won. But I don't know that I see it that way. I'm very concerned about this Rams defense. I think that they match up pretty nicely with the Packers, with Ramsey on Adams. And we know, 
you know, the whole offense essentially flows through Devontae Adams. So, mm-hmm. um, and then you've got, it seems like Aaron Donald is good to go um, and, and healthy according to him. And so, um, you know, if he's at even close to full strength, that's a problem that's very difficult to, you know, to plan for. I mean, they've got a great guard in Elton J- Jenkins, but, you know, on the other side, you've got Lucas Patrick. I think that Donald can take advantage of that. And so I, I expect this to be less than six and a half. I'm, I'm hopeful the Packers are still able to pull it off, especially because if it's Jarrett Goff, as it seems like it will be in the cold, mm-hmm. that's a problem for him historically, and he's got tiny hands, so he doesn't manage the cold super <laughs> well. taking shots at Jared Goff. He's just not very good. Yeah, that's um, fair. But, uh, yeah, I I like the Packers to win, but I, like, I think the Rams are going to cover. I think it's hilarious that Jared Goff at 26 would be the oldest quarterback in the AFC playoffs, and yet he's a— <laughs> wow. he, He's by a decade the youngest quarterback in the NFC playoffs. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's the the mix of quarterbacks in this um, in these playoffs left are pretty impressive with uh, that one glaring exception. <laughs> what do you think Bavada has the over under set for with this game? Ooh, I I'm guessing it's not that high. I would guess it's. Mm, 45 45 45 and a half oh very nice. good very very good Thank uh you. by far the lowest over under of the of the divisional round playoffs mm-hmm. sounds right i mean the weather is going to be not terrible in green bay but packers defense is playing better jared goff is not very good and um you know the rams defense is good so i think it makes sense Let's move on to the most exciting game of the weekend in my mind. Obviously, you probably think it's the Packers game. The Baltimore Ravens head to Buffalo to take on the Buffalo Bills, and Bavada has those Bills minus two and a half. Wow. That's a a really interesting line. Um, I agree with it. Oh, man. The the Bills are, you know, they they easily could have lost to that Colts team, but that Mm -hmm. Colts team can actually play you know, they can definitely play defense. Are the Ravens the defense that we saw last week against the Titans? Because if they are, you know, maybe this over under this total should be lower than that Packers game. And, you know, maybe we should be thinking about the Ravens winning it. I thought that they they started really slow and then they picked it up. And if they're able to, you know, sort of sustain that momentum week over week, they're going to be a very difficult team to beat. Um, man, this is really tough. I, I think I'm... I'm with Bo here. I'm going to lean with Baltimore. I think Baltimore is able to to pull the upset on the road. By the way, the there's been a lot of talk about Arthur Smith being a candidate in uh, in Philadelphia, and that game last weekend is the reason why he doesn't excite me as a candidate. He is one of those guys who comes in with a game plan, and that is his game plan. Yeah, and I think I agree. I think that a lot of what they've done carries over from the Matt LaFleur era. Mm-hmm. which was just a year before. And so I think that, you know, how much credit you give to him versus the floor, I would want to see one more year of Arthur Smith personally. Uh, one more year of Arthur Smith might get Derrick Henry killed. <laughs> That's true. Were you? Sh- I, I was shocked at how, like, you know, he is Mr. Pl- you know, January, Mr. Winter, essentially. Yeah. And uh, to get shut down like that was, was stunning to me. Well, the, they... They basically decided we're going to take him away and make Ryan Tannehill and that offense beat you, and that's the way to go. Yeah, and especially when the Ravens' two corners are as healthy as they are now, which is, again, something that would scare me if I'm the Bills. 
The Ravens are a scary team for sure. And uh, I, mm-hmm. for as for as happy as I am that this game is taking place, I think the, the Kansas City Chiefs are equally happy that this game is taking place. Yes. <laughs> the Cleveland Browns head to Kansas City to take on those Kansas City Chiefs, and Bovada has the Chiefs minus 10. I'll just say I like the Browns to cover. I think that... You know, the like the Chiefs are awesome, and the Browns maybe had their Super Bowl last week, but yeah. I would have said that about the week before. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they get Stefanski back, they get some of their their players that were out back, and I think that there's a chance, a good chance, that the Browns are able to keep this somewhat close. And let's not forget, the Chiefs didn't cover any of their last. I think it was eight games. <laughs> so, you know, it's that's a lot of games yeah. in a row to not be playing at your peak, and so at some point it becomes a habit. Um, I'm intrigued to get your perspective on this because I know your household was deliriously happy oh my surely God. on and, Sunday night. And then they went the other way for a while. But uh, as oh yeah, I was I'll tell you, I was pretty sure that the Browns were going to lose that game because I don't I don't know how many times that we have seen sporting events and some of us have been part of these sporting events where mm. you go up really big early, really and too quickly, almost. inevitably. Yeah that momentum swings the other way because it's just tough to maintain that. It's tough to maintain that, that level of aggressiveness when you're up that much. And I was really for So that was a five 15 game uh, here on, on the West coast. And we had, we had ordered dinner. It came at, at about five 15. We're like, Oh, you know, it's a pregame. We're fine. We turned it on at five 16, literally five 16. And I was like, I think the Browns scored a touchdown. (laughs) that was they had already scored a touchdown on that bad snap from pouncey and that first quarter was like very few first quarters i've ever seen the browns were on pace to score 112 points for a while the the beginning of that game reminded me of that uh i think it's the gleason game kind of for new orleans where uh it was like oh new orleans has finally sort of arrived you know like they jumped out to a super fast start can't remember who it was against but um, you know they blew up right away, and it was like, oh, oh, that that's gonna it's gonna happen, and they're gonna blow them out. That's mm-hmm. all, that's exactly what it happened. It seemed like with Cleveland. Yeah, I was very very worried, but they do get Joel Batonio, uh, Kevin Johnson, and Denzel Ward back this week, including also their head coach. That's worth pointing out. Mm-hmm. That that's that's helpful to have your head coach. But yeah, this is. <laughs> This is, they're playing with house money, and I would I would like to think that this team has the luxury of playing very loose in this game, in a game where nobody expected them to be in, in a game that no one really expects them to compete with this team. So just go out there, play football, and see what happens. And uh, if if you aren't good enough to to win this game, and I think you know the Chiefs are the better roster at this time, you go into the offseason incredibly happy with what happened this year. You make a couple of changes, and you try and win a couple of more games next year. Yeah, I could not agree with your assessment more. I, again, I think that they're able to cover. I think they're. I don't think that there's a huge gulf, at least in the trenches, between those two teams. Like, Agreed. I, I think that the Browns could totally control the line of scrimmage, especially the way that they ran the ball last week. And I know you know it's different when you're playing with a lead, and <sighs> Baker Mayfield's such a different quarterback when he's leading. I think. I don't know. Um, I was really disappointed with the the play calling, quite frankly, and and. I'm going to stay with the I don't think Joe Woods is a good defensive coordinator position. His his defense in the second half was basically was basically playing prevent for most of the second half. And there, if you can point to me at times when that has ever worked, 
I would be interested in looking at it because I can point to you a lot of times when it hasn't. But in terms of the play calling, I thought they I thought they just ran I thought they passed the ball way too much in the second half. You have this team. Now granted, uh Michael Dunn's in for Joel Batonio, he gets hurt. And as as Baker so elegantly said after the game, in came a guy named Blake who I introduced myself to before the game. <laughs> yeah. Um and Jack Conklin goes down, Kendall Lamb's in, Kendall Lamb goes in for him. Maybe it's not what you thought you were gonna have, but the fact that it wasn't just we're gonna run with Nick Chubb a lot, we're gonna make the second half as short as it can be, that blew my mind because they still put the ball in the air a lot. I think yeah, I like that's obviously to me a response to the Steelers just packing the box knowing that that's exactly what they were going to do and you know you're right I mean I get the idea of trying to control the clock and just minimize possessions but you know they felt like they had they had some things they could take advantage of with short passes and and I don't know that it really worked out but they they were efficient enough I thought and like at that point you're just you're hanging on for dear life and you know, it's funny, actually, now that we're talking about this, we're talking about the Chiefs, too. This kind of reminds me of last year when you had, I think it was 21-3 to or 24-3, to the Texans against the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Remember that game? Mm-hmm. And it felt like, I think everyone knew, like, the Texans jumped out too fast, almost. And, um, you know, and they weren't able to hang on, in part because they are so built on the pass game. So there was, I, I hear what you're saying, like, there was that sort of threat of it, especially when you've got Mika Fitzpatrick hunting in that secondary and those two guys are T.J. Watt hunting a quarterback. But at the same time, um, I just think that the Browns are are built a little bit different as far as, like, they're not really driving the ball down the field too much. They're they're really just designed to hit short plays over and over and over again. And, you know, and I think that that's kind of what the Chiefs give you too. So I'm interested to see how that plays out because I think that with Stefanski back, as you point out, it's gonna you're gonna have someone who has a much better feel on the pulse of how that offense succeeds. I know these these awards shouldn't be made based upon postseason success, but does this winning a playoff game lock Stefanski into coach of the year? <laughs> Even though I, it wasn't I mean, him. I, I think I think you he probably will be, yeah. I, I think that there's there's reason to there are other people that deserve some credit for sure, but he He's probably deserve most deserving. Yeah, Brian Flores is in that conversation, especially yep. if especially if uh, Deshaun Watson gets his way and is traded to oh Miami my for the package that he suggested. That's taking things to a whole nother level. Um, <laughs> good for him. That's initiative, if nothing else. You're mm-hmm. you're very much right about the Chiefs. I think statistically, we've seen that the worst thing you can do if you're an opposing offense is is get um get Patrick Mahomes down double figures because you're almost Mm -hmm. certain to lose. Yeah. It's It's almost like you want close games with them. You do. You want, you want them to be leading slightly going into the fourth quarter, just running and thinking that the run's working or, you know, just giving them the short game because God, if he's, you know, if you've got a lead and you're playing, as you point out, Joe Woods, like some kind of delusional prevent (sighs) or any kind of non-aggressive defense, I think you're in a, a very tough spot. What do you think the over-under at Bavada is for this game? Hmm. I'm going to guess in the 50s. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say 51. Uh, would you be surprised to learn, is the, the way that I start off with this, you're not <laughs> you're not very close to this one at all, uh, that this oh. is the highest line of the week. Oh, I am surprised. The line... I'm surprised. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. The line here, 57. 
Wow. I mean, that, I guess total deference to the Chiefs there, but I don't know. I think that these two defenses are good enough to sort of slow down the other offenses. Not in that I think the Browns' defense is especially good, but I think that <laughs> with Stefanski back, they'll play the type of game that we're talking about, which is let's not throw the ball all over the yard and give them a million possessions, you know? And I guess that's probably most teams plan against them, but specifically the Browns, they seem much more disciplined when it comes to playing their brand of football, which is let's not get into a big shootout with another team. For sure. And our final game of the weekend, these uh, these two up-and-coming whippersnappers at quarterback, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers <laughs> head to New Orleans to take on the New Orleans Saints. The kid drew breeze in the New Orleans Saints. Bavada has those Saints minus three at home. <sighs> I, I think this is a dead-even game. I don't really know how you can under, like know what might happen. Obviously, we've seen the game happen twice this season. We saw the Saints just completely destroy uh, Tampa earlier this year. I don't see that being a similar situation to this game. That just totally seemed like a fluke on Monday night. And mm-hmm. I like I like Tampa. I like Tampa to cover. I think that um, you know Brady's clearly better than Breeze at this point of their careers, and I don't think the defenses are very different at all. So give me the Bucks. I think that they're um, they're probably the better team at this point. Where is in the long term right now? Where where's your money going for a championship? If we if we look at these futures here. And by the way, at no point did we address the fact that uh, I meant to talk about this when we were talking about the national championship. Mac Jones makes JD Booty look like an Adonis. Devonte <laughs> Smith. I mean, that is the smallest superstar that I've ever seen in my life. He oh has it. He God. has a Deshaun Jackson body. Uh, and uh, and Bill Harrison. and Bill O'Brien, the next offensive coordinator for Alabama. Oh my God! The list of guys that whose careers Nick Saban has turned around. He should, if he gets royalties from the the amount of turnarounds he's created, it can mm-hmm. think of Lane Kiffin and obviously <laughs> Sark now and five percent of future all, earnings. Yeah, I mean seriously, he should. He should ask for that because. What he's doing to careers, and you know, Bill O'Brien will totally be the next one of those. And yeah. I saw Adam Gase's name mentioned too. Oh my you know god, that's that so ridiculous! If if one of those guys went there, though, like you know, their career would turn around. Brian Dable was on that staff, of course. Not mm-hmm. that he was ever really down before then, but um, you know, he that's Saban is Midas in every sense of the word, and um, you know, he's he's been the kingmaker. So I would I would bet on O'Brien getting back into the head coaching circles. Did you see? Uh, did you see the stat that every single recruit Nick Saban has brought to Alabama that has stayed four years has won the national championship? Oh my god, <laughs> I did not know that. That's so absurd. Oh my god. Yeah, I mean, talk about having power going into a guy's living room and being able to say that. And I bet twenty five percent minimum, probably fifty percent, have at least gotten an NFL tryout if not drafted. Yeah, I mean, it's an eighty five man roster, so that I don't think that number is quite that high but it, it, they certainly said your starter for your players well yeah yeah certainly maybe bring not. maybe not more than their fair share of guys to the pros and the next one will be mac jones who i selected at the end of the third round in a recent pro football network mock draft i took part in for wow. the philadelphia eagles one of the 100 i do in it any given day last thing i last <laughs> I thing i seem being there no me neither uh last thing i got for you super bowl 55 winner right now at bavada the the Chiefs, the favorite, plus 200, followed by the Bucks 375, the Bills 550, the Saints 600, the Bucks 650, the Ravens 800, the Rams 2400, and the Browns 3000. 
Where are you putting your money? Wow, Packers not in there. Okay. Packers um, plus 375, second team. Oh, they're second. Okay, I thought you said Bucks. Um, I I kind of like the Ravens with those odds just because I, like they're going to be underdogs every step of the way, mm-hmm. but um, at least the first two steps of the way. But I, I could see them doing it because their defense is, again, they're healthier now with Jimmy Smith back. And Lamar Jackson, I do feel like he shook off the cobwebs early in that game, mm-hmm. and I'm expecting much better things out of him. So while they're they're obviously dogs this week, and that's a close matchup, I could see them winning that game, and then all bets are off against the Chiefs because I don't think the Chiefs match up real well with, with Lamar Jackson's legs. Fair enough. All right, well, jam-packed show. Uh, originally had a very different plan. We were talking about things like Liam Hendricks and remaining free agents in Major, Major League Baseball, but that didn't seem so important. When James Harden got traded and national championship happened and lots of other stuff. Plenty of stuff to talk about moving forward. For Anchikana, I'm Chris Forwardell. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.